Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Breakout Con 2019. Episode 212 How to Be an Ally. Presented by Ann Ratchet, Misha Bushiager, James Mendez Hodes, Eli Eden, and Jonea Kemper. With moderation by Jason Pitt. It is literally less work to say here than to do anything else. Sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone, on uh, yet another fantastic panel from BreakoutCon 2019. And the audio recorder is working. Fantastic. So, uh, my name is Jason Pitt, and I am the moderator for this panel on how to ally, which mostly means I'm going to use my loud voice and radio voice to make sure that all of you hear me. And when I say, listen to these fine people who are awesome. So, from left to right, we have uh, Joanna Kemper. <laughs> I, I need to know who is starting with. Jonea, I apologize, I am a monster. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Bad, bad ally, get out. Right. <laughs> Failed. Uh, Misha Bushiager. Uh, we have James Mendez Hodes. Sorry, I just say Mendez all the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have Eli Eden and Anne Ratchet. So each of them, I'll give them a chance to uh, quickly introduce themselves and say what they've worked on, what they're excited about, etc. And then we will get this show on the road. Let's take it back this way. So Anne. Um. Okay. I guess I'll set the tone then. Um, I am an arrow ace game designer. That means aromantic, asexual. I am Jewish and I am disabled. Most specifically, I um, am very public th- with the fact that I have OCD. Um, I don't have anything that's particularly notable out there. I am pretty prevalent in design spaces and am known for experimental design or weird stuff. So that's me. <laughs> Cool. Um, yeah, I'm Eli. Um, I'm trans, queer. Um, I have some mental health stuff going on. Um, so those are my sort of in- intersectional identities, as you will. Um, I am working on some games. Nothing's been published, but I have worked on a uh, zine um, about alternate masculinities from non-cis perspectives. And uh, I've done some artwork for uh, the LARP My Jam. Um, yeah, cool. It was good. I'm Mendez. Um, my my mom is uh, Filipina, Filipino American, and my dad was European Jewish. Um, I I have bipolar disorder, um, and uh, I'm very confused about my gender. But we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I wear a lot of different hats in the gaming industry, but I think the one most relevant uh, to today is I'm a cultural consultant. Um, so people pay me to tell me they're racist. Pay me, pay me to tell them they're racist, ra- rather. Yeah. 
I'm really glad that you laughed instead of going deathly silent, which is what, <laughs> sometimes, what sometimes happens when I tell that joke. Uh, I'm Misha. Uh, I'm obviously black. Uh, I oh. yeah, I know, right? Uh, uh, I'm queer. Um, I'm a mom, uh, I'm mostly cis, uh, and I am a writer, uh, designer, and a sensitivity reader, um, as well as a few other things. So, like like Mendez, uh, I, I get paid to p- tell people, uh, hey, that's a little racist, it's okay, but you know, you gotta like kind of call these things out. Um, and uh, I'm uh, one of the principals of New Agenda Publishing, which is a... Uh, focus on uh, hiring and uh, promoting more voices from marginalized communities. Uh, and I'm also one of the principals of More Seats at the Table, which is a newsletter that features uh, games and uh, analog games from uh, people of marginalized genders. So women, uh, trans people, uh, uh, non-binary people, uh, etc. Uh, yes, let me just roll out this character sheet. Um, <laughs> I am a black queer woman. Um, let's see, what else? I have lots of. I have so much other things. Muslim. I, I, yeah, oh yeah, that's right. I'm definitely Muslim. Um, hilariously, Jewish. also Jewish. Uh, <laughs> hilariously, also slightly pagan. So you figure that out. I have um, <laughs> family. Um, I am also not a neurodivergent. Uh, I have ADHD and I've been pretty uh, out there with that. Why am I me? I am known as a LARP academic, but I also wear a couple of hats in the game industry. I am also who you hire when you feel like you're being racist, um, but I am after you've been racist and now you need to, someone to fix your game who won't judge you and will hold your hand and tell you you're not that much of a monster, you're good. Um, I, my work primarily though, deals with how we can use role-playing games to investigate and explore ourselves and learn about our own structural, like our own isms, essentially, our own internalized biases and how that affects us in the real world and also in our gaming spaces. Brilliant. So this panel is all about how to ally uh, and how, I'm assuming also how not to ally. Uh, in decent measure. <laughs> uh, so, uh, structurally, uh, these fantastic panelists will be providing the vast majority of the content, but if any of you have questions that you would like to pay, raise, raise your hand, I'll come over and hand you a book and a pen. You can write down the questions that you'd like to ask, and if we have time, I will pepper the panel uh, with your uh, fine questions, um, depending on how scheduling works out. Uh, that way we can keep the focus on their brilliant words uh, and get this going. So, how to ally. What are your first thoughts and what are the key elements about the idea of ally that people need to know before you can have a conversation? Uh, let's go with Clearly, <laughs> there's, there's, there's thoughts. You can't see my face, but I had so many thoughts. Sorry. Please give the thoughts. Okay. The thoughts. Um, so, and I'll try and be this brief because I like to talk. Um, when I think of an ally, I, I've, over the past year, I've really become upset with the word ally. Um, and that's because sometimes we consider it as a cookie and a badge to be worn 
to say, see, I'm not that bad, see, I'm not that bad, okay? But that's not necessarily what that means or what, what we should be striving for. Um, I believe in this theory that is from Boal and from Freire. Freire, Paulo Freire, was a Brazilian uh, teacher who did amazing groundbreaking work in redoing the way children were taught and giving them power to strike back at a government that was basically robbing them of their own indigenous, their own African, their own, like all of the heritages that they needed to know and learn and be, they were being stolen from. So he put forth this theory that you could be oppressed and the oppressor at the same time. And there are many ways in which we oppress each other, and there are many, and that people are super shocked that you could say that. Uh, and there are many ways in which we oppress. So I don't like to focus so much on being an ally, so much as we need to figure out how we deal with our multiple levels of power in spaces, and how do we leverage that power in a space that for someone who does not have power then. So when I think of ally. I'm like, mm. but how do you leverage the power that you have socially? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I prefer the term accomplice because it kind of <laughs> it does have a better, uh, more nuanced feeling. So an ally is somebody who stands there. An accomplice is someone who's helping you. Um, so if if you're if if I'm asking you to be my accomplice in something, it's it's pretty clear. No, I really need you to actually do something, not just stand there and say something. Um, so, but the, the easiest, the, the best way to do it though is to listen to the population that you are trying to be an accomplice to. So if they're asking you, hey, can you not do that? Don't do it. It's not that hard. It's like, um, <laughs> take a, a recent example, Terry Crews. He's been great in trying to be an ally and trying to be an accomplice for sexual assault uh, survivors, but at the same time, he's had some issues with the queer community because his his understanding is one thing, and he's trying, but he's also, when he gets called on it and say, hey, that thing you did wasn't great, you can't then call yourself an ally if you turn around and say, no, really, what I did is, okay, fine, you win. I'm apparently wrong, I'm so horrible. You know, you have to actually listen to the community. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. So one of the biggest things is listen, apologize when you fucked up, admit that you fucked up, and try not to fuck up again. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that embracing vulnerability is something that I've talked about a lot in many different gaming contexts this weekend. Um, but as an ally, you can't apologize and you can't learn unless you first make yourself vulnerable and accept that you might be wrong. Yeah, uh, building on that, um, I love that you brought up vulnerability. Is um, it's um, I think it's a, a, a podcast from Jay Smooth that talks about um, uh, he talks about it in the context of racism, but it applies to everything like mm -hmm. isms. That when someone tells you you've done a wrong um, uh, related to a marginalized community, it's kind of like brushing your teeth, right? It's more like um, I just need you to brush your teeth right now and, and get that out of your mouth. And it's not necessarily a, um, a, a mark on your character, uh, like your core being. I'm not calling you a monster. Just 
just knew want you to work on yourself. So, yeah. so I'm going to be changing the topic a little bit because we've sort of established sort of what a position of an ally, ally sits in everything. Um, so one of the things that I think a lot when I think of allyship and things like that is a paraphrase from Mabel Harper, who is a game designer uh, not currently present at the con. And she takes the position that in order to be an ally, you have to be aware that there are issues in the world. Mm -hmm. So how are ways that if you theoretically know that there are things wrong in the world, but you are still getting your hands around that, how can you better educate yourself and what are the steps you can take in order to pretty much progress yourself into a position where you can actually start doing good? I think it comes back to listening. Uh, so uh, the thing I, I notice a lot of people ask me is, who should I follow on Twitter? Or who should I be listening to? Who should I be reading? Where should, what resources uh, should I be looking into to find out more? Well, one, Google is a step away. <laughs> There's really very little excuse for you not being able to look up what are blank or what is blank in this day and age. 90% of people have a smartphone in their pocket with connection to this vast mm -hmm. repository of knowledge at any time. So uh, so start with the basics. And, and there are dozens and dozens of resources out there for um, how to uh, language we should use with uh, tran the trans language primer, for one. Uh, the um, There's uh, how to talk about um, how to write about people of color, uh, what word choices kind of things. There are, there are tons of resources that are already out there and that are a quick Google search away. If you go often to somebody, hey, you're listening to me now. If you go and look at me, go later and look at my website, there's probably a bibliography page there. It's like, hey, if you're looking for resources, there's already something collected. So start with following people, talking to people who are not like yourself. Um, whatever those intersections might be. Like, I am fairly neurotypical, so I know I, that's a, a neurodivergence is a thing that I need to talk to look into more. So let's start there. Um, but it's just, it's like I said, there's really no reason not to just start by looking and then by talking to somebody and then by, uh, but listening is the, the core thing to start with. And also with your comment about who do I follow on Twitter? One of the biggest issues I've seen from a bystander's position on Twitter is that people will ask who to follow, will follow a couple of big names, and think that that is the entire conversation. Yeah. When you are talking with people, this is an active conversation you need to often and constantly be searching out for, asking who is new on the scene that I haven't been talking to, who has been around for a while that I've probably overlooked because there are a lot of really, really uh -huh. significant voices who are constantly undermined as valuable. One of my favorite of which is Julia Bon Ellingbow, mm -hmm. oh, who yeah. is so good and one of my favorite people to seal at cons and let her talk for hours <laughs> on end. I have literally had this happen. It was amazing. Um, and her name never comes up enough. And you probably would not be able to know unless I literally just said it right now because she is not talked about 
when she is one of the most educated and most diverse people in tabletop gaming with games supporting these conversations we also do not talk about. Um, so, hmm. Yeah, be also being aware of like where you position yourself and like where you sit in, rea in relation. So at the beginning of this panel, we rolled out, like I, I made the joke about the character sheet, right? Like we rolled out uh, all of these ways in which we may be marginalized, right? But many of them were different, okay? So I'm gonna do this. I am a cisgendered woman. Being cisgendered, it means that sometimes I, Woke McWokerson, uh, can still have like problematic ideas or like I, I constantly need to be aware that I am cisgendered in a space and even though I am queer that does not give me the right to hurt folks who are trans right and it's up to me to keep abreast of how things change because I want to be a person who supports people that are important to me and important to the world right and that is really good but I have to even be more minute um, I have to look at uh, my, my skin tone in relation to my blackness I have to look at and it seems like a lot to do but trust me it's actually quite easy you just have to be, as Mendes talked about, you have to be willing to be radically vulnerable. And that, that's the scary part. But once you start doing it, it's kind of great for us and you. Yeah, and just like staying abreast of current language even is like uh, what, what might have been a common and popular and, and accepted term five years ago may not be a, the same now. And as language shifts, you know, just trying to keep a, and so if somebody says, hey, we don't really say that anymore, listen to them. Uh, it's like, you know, th this is the better accepted term now. It's like, okay, I thank you for telling me that. I've learned something. Um, and, and moving on. Yeah. It can even be more pointed than that. Um, because we are dealing with individuals, and that is the really big thing. We are supporting populations and each individual person. So what might be the common accepted term may not be a comfortable term for the person you were talking with. So it's very possible in your conversation with someone who is non-binary, they will specifically ask you to use the term non-binary and not envy because they feel like that is a very feminine term term and it takes away from their own gender expression. Yeah. I've also heard some people some people who are non-binary have it, uh, problems with NB because it feels infantilizing to them or it's, it's kind of too cutesy and so they don't prefer that. Um, so just even along that, that spectrum, uh, uh, not everybody in a community agrees. Like mm -hmm. queer, a lot of older people from the LGBT community aren't so fond of it. Whereas a lot of the younger younger uh, community is super fine with using queer. So some of the things it's you know yes it's okay to for an in group to re, to reclaim a slur that doesn't necessarily mean you get to use it. Uh, specifically, you know, I I know some trans people who call themselves trannies because that's what they feel, but that is their term that they are using for themselves. They wouldn't necessarily use it for other people, and if you call them that, you're probably going to get a punch in the face. So, <laughs> um, it's 
the, the quicker you can get used to the idea that one expression can have both positive and negative effects, both helpful and harmful effects contained within itself, and that one of those doesn't subtract from the other or make the other lesser, they just both coexist, the easier it is to understand these kinds of topics. Uh, it also applies to people. Like, the, the good things that Terry Crews has done don't mean that the bad thing that he did doesn't matter. Nor does the, that bad thing that he did negate the help that he has also done to the community. It's, he's a person, people are complex. It's, and you don't, need to, you don't need to evaluate people on whether or not you're gonna cancel them or not. Yeah. Okay. So we've gotten a question from the audience, that is a good one. Um, can you explain vulnerability and especially as related to people privilege? How can I, uh, coming from a position of power, be vulnerable? thought um uh actually doing like so we talked a lot about language that has come up a lot but actually doing physical work or like putting yourself out there in front of people um who need that help so um i'm gonna put it within like the gaming community too because you know that's what we're here for um asking individual people with marginalized identities the access uh, the barriers they need removed to access the space and actually following through with that. So there's two examples that come to mind. One is, um, let's say you're organizing a thing and uh, someone you know says, well, I'd love to go that, but I can't fit into the chairs there. Actually, like, it might be uncomfortable for you to, uh, but you have all sorts of other privileges that make your life easier find ways to change those chairs. Or another one is if you have a friend who's like, I'm socially anxious, I would love to go these things, but I don't trust being at a table full of strangers. Like, block some time out in your schedule to actually be at the table of the games that they're going to, or find a safe person for them to game with. So it's, it's really about, uh, yeah, um, allowing yourself to be a little uncomfortable for the comfort of others within your means of course yeah uh, there's a there's a feeling that I've uh, become very familiar with when uh, someone asks me to do something differently and it's a it's a both a physical and an emotional sensation uh, of defensiveness um, I, it's like I feel like tingling in my skin and I feel uh, like heat like temperature um, I might like blush or start sweating um, any one of these things and it almost always happens when someone asks me to change something even if I don't really care about the thing that I'm changing it still happens it's physical um, and I've come to accustom myself to that feeling and sit with it and accept it the way that I would accept the feeling of being hit by a punch knowing that I'm going to get punched a lot I get punched a lot um, but martial arts yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. It's consensual punching. Yes. For the record. Yes. Yeah. Anyone wants to punch me, come up after. <laughs> but no, I'm not kidding. Oh. Um, but yeah, um, you need to you need to brace for that, and you need to brace for it ahead of time so that it doesn't surprise you when it happens. And if you are braced for it, then you are more likely to stay in control and have control of your reactions and be able to take the one that helps the person who isn't you the most when it happens by surprise. And another small thing is uh, things like when you're scheduling uh, events and you're looking at the calendar and, and trying to figure out, it's like, hey, 
maybe don't just consider the Christian calendar yeah. for when you're looking for holiday at what holidays might be falling right now. Like, oh, hey, there's a major month-long thing, and we know about it like years ahead of time when this whole month-long thing where you're gonna not be able to eat during the day if you're Muslim, and maybe we shouldn't have like day-long conventions during that. You know, like multiple days where people are going to be sitting and eating and, and things and, and our Muslim brethren and sistren are not going to be able to participate as much as we would like them to because they're starving because they haven't eaten all day. Uh, so maybe we shouldn't hold events during that month if we're trying to be accommodating to everybody. Maybe we should think about these things. Maybe we should do less things where uh, it's over Saturdays because, hey, there's a lot of our Jewish brethren and sisters who can't participate in that as well if they're following something more orthodox and they can't drive here or they can't uh, make it to this space. You know, So how can we accommodate more than just Christians or more than just people who are a-religious and, and don't follow a particular one? But let's, let's maybe not make that quite the orthodoxy that we're following. And like we can keep zooming out, right? We can keep zooming out on that level. Um, in which we say things like, so currently we're in North America. That means everyone in this room is like America, right? No, no, actually. So, <laughs> please don't agree to that. Uh, that's not true. I don't want that for you. Um, <laughs> New Mexico, old Mexico doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter, right? You forget, like, the large, large parts of people forget that Canada exists, right? And I am not Canadian, but I am intensely aware that when folks in Europe, for say, like the European LARP and tabletop scenes, right, when they get angry, uh, they go, oh, I'm so angry at those Americans, dot. But they're like angry at Nicole Winchester, who's definitely Canadian. Um, like, this is like, the way, way to call right? someone out. <laughs> what? I mean, I'm her friend. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, but I mean, she would agree to this. Like, these are these are the things like how we lump people together and how we perceive the world, how we're socialized to perceive of the world is sometimes we're we're doing unintentional uh, violence to people uh, because we just don't know any better. Um, so being like vulnerable is giving yourself the ability to take a step back and go, ah, I see what I did there, okay. How can I do this differently? Or even double checking your lists of what goes into a game or what goes into your con or what goes into your life and saying, if I make this choice, who does not get to participate? Because when those people don't participate, you lose, you lose valuable things that could be enriching your life, and we lose valuable things that can be enriching our culture and informing us of other differences and lovely things. As for a quick tool for those of you who want to be more religiously inclusive, Google Calendar has applications that you can literally click and say, add Jewish calendar, add Muslim calendar, and automatically everything you would need to know is there. I highly recommend this because as someone who is Jewish, the Jewish calendar is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Don't try to do this alone. Use Google. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fun fact is that the Jewish calendar and the Islamic calendar very often syncs together so you get a two-for-one special. <laughs> So we have another question from the audience. 
Uh, what is a good way to work with negative responses to term corrections? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> love this question. I think the, the answer depends a lot on, um, the answer depends a lot on a lot of things, but uh, I, have, I have done this most, not least of all because it's easiest, with kids. Kids are way better at this than adults. If you tell an adult that something they said sounds racist, you get a 10 minute explanation of how, oh, I'm married to a black person. I have black friends. Yeah. Uh huh. And and ten minutes later, you want to die. <laughs> you see, I grew up in Chicago in an all-black neighborhood where I too learned to be the blackness. <laughs> no, really, I know what racism feels like because I was the only white guy in the all-black neighborhood. Exactly. I know exactly how you feel. We're Irish, you see, and also. Wait, wait, the Irish were slaves too? No. That's right. So, so that. And then, if you tell like an annoying teenager that, hey, something you said that that thing sounded racist, they'll very often say, oh, okay, sorry, and then stop, and that's it. Um, so I think with um, with adults, from my perspective as a cultural <laughs> consultant. Um, uh, there's a lot of like ego stroking that I have to do in response to that, um, which is too bad. I shouldn't have to do that. I have to do it anyway. Um, so when someone has a negative response to a term correction, um, what I have to do is I have to figure out what personal experience they've had that's related to that negative uh, to that uh, negative response. Usually, when someone has a negative response to a term correction, a negative one as opposed to a clueless one, that means that sometime in their past this has happened and they have felt terrible about it, or someone made them feel bad, justifiably or unjustifiably. I don't know. Um, but you have to work through that personal experience, and you need to make that person feel validated for their experiences and their feelings while still telling them that, hey, if you change this, you'll make the world a better place for other people. So um, you actually have to kind of get to know the person who you're correcting and find out like what rhetorical strategies and what emotional approaches will be most comfortable for them that make it easiest for them. So you actually have to do extra work, emotional labor and other kinds of labor to get to know uh, and validate the experiences of the person who just said something bigoted, which is terrible. Yeah. But you have to do it. It's why we're really tired sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Which is true that you can't be burned out on it. Yeah. Yeah. Can. yeah. We charge by the hour for this. This is true. When I we charge can. a lot by the hour now. Yeah. Also, they need Kofi. Go we give them money. Yes. Oh yeah. I have one of those. Um, yeah. I. It, that everything you everything you said yeah. is absolutely correct. Um, there is more compassion uh, that goes into. I I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. You have to put some compassion into that really negative response. Um, however, if this is a Twitter fight in which someone is just calling you all outside your name, uh, my personal approach is block and delete because I ain't got time for that. Uh, it's because there, there's like a certain level, I feel, in which it's just negatively harming the person that may point it out. That is, and you are in, you are within your rights to say, I'm not gonna deal with this. I don't have to deal with this. And I need a break. 
and that's something you should really keep in mind even if you are not from the marginalized community that just pointed that out. If you're the only person in your friends group who is sitting there, the lone bastion of please do not say this thing, sometimes you just need better friends. Cancel them or give them a book or try and if it's not working, take a deep breath because we need you to also survive. Yeah. And with, with, uh, with Twitter, like a lot of times it's like, okay, if it's somebody I've never seen and this is like the first interaction we've had and it's this giant negative reaction, it's like, all right, block and delete, no problem. If it's somebody I we've interacted before, this seems out of character, maybe, hey, are you having a bad day? Is this is this not a good time? Should we table this discussion for when you're you're feeling in a better headspace? Because people have bad days. Yeah. And so sometimes it's a matter of how many, how much clock cycles or, or spoons or whatever your, your personal term is for, for, for how much headspace and how much emotional labor you're willing to do in that particular moment. It could be, hey, I know you. I know you're not normally like this. So we're gonna, the next time we get together and we're in the same space, we're going to chat rather than doing this over the internet because the internet is, text is a, a, a ill-nuanced uh, form of communication. And if I, like, we could have a conversation and say the exact same words but reading them, you're you're not catching you know the body language. You're not catching the the nuance, the the, the intonations. Like, uh, take the scene from my cousin Vinny. You know, you've got the they they. I I shot the sheriff, and then when you read those words back, it's like I shot the sheriff. No, I was not. The person was not actually admitting to shooting the sheriff. That was an incredulous. I shot the sheriff. But in text, it just reads as no. This was a confession. I shot the sheriff. Um, so. If it's somebody you know or are willing to do the emotional label for, hey, can we get together and have coffee and talk about this in person? Mm -hmm. is, a, is a perfectly valid thing to do. Or, hey, can we talk about this later? You know, I'm not going to fight with you right this second, but, you know, we need to talk. So, uh, I have one excellent audience question and a backup question uh, if you finish this early. Uh, so, for someone trying to be an ally, where would you recommend drawing the line on how much education you would expect from the group you're aiming to ally with, or be an accomplice with. Uh, where would you recommend drawing the line on how much education you could expect from the group you're trying to ally accomplice with? Um, so, uh, just to clarify, so the problem that uh, the problem that we are worried about here is, oh, okay, I, I don't have a physical disability, so I'm going to go and bother my friend who has a physical disability and ask them endless questions, and eventually they will get annoyed at all of the unpaid work I'm I'm, I'm making them do, is like that's that's the thing we're worried about. Yeah. Cool. That's okay. a good that's a good thing good thing to be worried about. Just clarifying. Um. So, uh, it depends on your relationship to that person. Like, I, I have a couple of white friends who are like, yes, I've taken you on as my personal pet project. You could ask me just about anything. But that's a certain level of friendship that I do not afford to everybody. So, some of it is, hey, before you ask questions, hey, do you have a few minutes? I have a question about something. Do you have time right now to deal with this? Or would this be something better later? Just ask before you throw, ask if it's okay to get all up in their business before you get all up in their business. It's like, hey, I've got a question. Do you have a few minutes? It's like, yeah, sure, we can talk now. And then it's like, oh no, it's like, nah, I'm picking up the kids. I'll give me like 30 and we can talk. You know, so let's start with that. Respect their time, 
respect their emotional needs because they might not be ready in, or in a good headspace to have that conversation right now. Um, and then no one person is the end all be all of any experience except for their own. I experience blackness differently than Janea experiences blackness, differently than my brother experiences blackness, differently than Terry Crews experiences blackness. You cannot expect one person to be the end-all, be-all of a marginalized, marginalized experience. Yeah. Just like you can't expect any white person or any cis person or any straight person to be the end-all, be-all of a non-marginalized experience. Mm -hmm. So diversify your group. You know, it's like if you have questions about physical disability, don't just talk to one person. Talk to like six or seven. Spread it out a little. Yeah, don't like right. lump all of your questions on one poor person. Like, just, just, yeah. just spread it out a little. Um, uh, also, if you're not close friends, and particularly if you're using this knowledge for a project that you might get money out of, you should compensate them, preferably with money. But let's say even if it's personal knowledge, you just want to know. Buy them dinner, do a nice thing for them, clean their house, whatever. Um, yeah, compensation is important for this. And also, for me personally, uh, saying um, at the beginning of your statement, uh, you don't have to answer my questions, or if you don't want to, goes a long way. It mm -hmm. usually makes me more likely to want to answer your questions. <laughs> so, uh, on the note of uh, don't throw this all on one person. Yeah. Uh, could uh, the panelists talk about the concept of intersectionality uh, <laughs> by Kimberly Crenshaw, a uh, female black academic who is insufficiently credited for said thing, uh, for said concept, and the concept is being wildly misused I feel in like modern parlance. Girl! <laughs> no, but I, I stopped and I was like, I'm having a moment in which I feel like I'm supposed to be, I'm taking a test, and like, this is, so someone else is happy to speak first. I'm looking at Minda as like, what are you Can I just add a, like, pretext? Intersectionality is very complicated. This is an hour-long panel on allyship. Whatever we say here doesn't even scratch the surface, so please educate yourself furthermore based off of the little cookie crumbs we give you right now, because we're not going to be saying enough on the topic. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, shake this responsibility off on Misha, because you, <laughs> you literally have a sticker on your oh, thermos yeah. hey, that, that says the, the future is intersectional. So uh, <laughs> clearly you've already agreed to do this emotional oh, labor, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will get you later. You did, you did. She knows she's a lot to punch me. So, at its core, and, and the concept has been stretched beyond its original bounds, uh, but at its core, intersectionality is the concept that a person can be, uh, let, let's, let's use black women as an example. You can be black and be, uh, have racism performed upon you. You can also be a woman and have sexism pr performed upon you. And so you may share experiences with black men that don't under, where they are the ones enforcing the sexism on you, whereas you're still allied along the racism lines. And you can be uh, in, in uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, 
interactions with white women where racism is performed on you, although you're still interacting along, uh, you're, you're both still women, so you're, you're still. A note from the editor. Unfortunately, the audio cut out after this point due to the audio recorder being full after Breakout Con 2019. However, uh, Misha concluded her sentence explaining that a black woman can receive racism on the axis of being black, sexism on the axis of being a woman, and you need to take a holistic view when trying to address the challenges of black women in particular. I hope you enjoyed the portion of the panel that was presented here, and have an excellent day.